Hi, and welcome back to Publisher Nation, Season 2, Episode 4, specifically about educational publishing today. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Publisher Nation is the official podcast of Digital Book World taking place in September, uh, both in person in a small, modified, uh, highly modified format and uh, online as well. Um, each episode of this 10-episode slate will focus on different aspects of modern publishing. And today we are talking about educational publishing. I'm thrilled to have here a fantastic panel of guests. And uh, I'm going to ask each one of them to introduce themselves one by one. Marika, I'm going to start with you. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Tell us what you do. So thanks, Bradley. Nice to be here. I uh, had the opportunity to speak um, at Digital Book World last year in person, back when we all could see each other face to face. And so happy to be back here. I am the founder of PR by the Book. We are a book publicity firm. We're based in Austin, Texas, and we are coming up on our 18th anniversary here in the fall. So um, I have been a book publicist for 23 years. I worked at another small firm before I started PR by the book. And so we just um, basically work with a really wide uh, variety of genres. Um, books in the educational market are only one sliver of the types of books that we work on. So um, I'll be just talking from the point of view of uh, a publicist who's pitching all types of media and bringing in um, that uh, promotion point of view here. Excellent. Marika, thank you very much for joining us. Our next guest is Kanan Barut. Kanan, say hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, hi, Bradley, and thank you so much for the invitation. It's really my pleasure to be a part of this uh, organization by uh, Publisher Nation. Uh, I'm based in Dubai, and I'm the director for Middle East and North Africa for Cambridge University Press. Uh, Cambridge University Press is a part of the University of Cambridge. Uh, we are the publishing business of the university, and Cambridge University Press has been actively publishing for almost 500 years, and we have uh, over 50 offices around the world, and we distribute our materials nearly all the countries uh, around the world. Uh, educational publishing is a kind of more than a publishing, more than a professional interest for me. Uh, I have my master's and uh, doctorate degree uh, in education and specifically in instructional design and uh, materials evaluation. I have been over 65 countries thanks to my job and it's a kind of personal enthusiasm for me to analyze how learners learn and how we can maximize the potential of learners in the world. Excellent. Kanan, thank you very much for being part of Publisher Nation with us today. And our third and final guest is Ashley Gordon of HP. Ashley, say hello. Hello, Bradley, Marika, and Kanan. Thank you all for letting me join you. Oh, there was a y'all. Um, <laughs> So I'm Ashley Gordon. I'm North American Publishing Solutions Sales Manager for HP, which would mean that I represent our Piazza platform, new to the market, and um, the content and supply chain management solution. And many of our customers are in the higher ed space. 
Prior to joining HP, I spent 10 years consulting with higher education content providers and distributors. I have been the facilitator for the textbook affordability conference for the last four years. So I've worked closely with college retailers and publishers and platforms for distribution. So I'll be coming at it from that perspective. Excellent. Thank you very much for being part of uh, the show with us today. And thank all three of you for, for setting this time aside. So I'm going to start with... Um, Simply asking, you know, right now with this pandemic, we are uh, seemingly collectively talking about kids going back to school. School's on everybody's mind. And um, just uh, later this week, uh, my wife and I will find out what our son's school situation will be, uh, what, how much will be in person, how much will be virtual, and, and, and what the school system has in mind. Um, and it's a good backdrop for a discussion on the state of educational publishing. And that's where I want to start. And Ashley, I'm going to start with you and then Kanan and then to uh, Marika. Um, in your estimation, what is the state of educational publishing today? Is it, is it healthy? Is it um, in need of disruption? Um, all three of y'all come from different lines of sight. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious just to start there. Is educational publishing in a good place today or, or is it in uh, disrepair and, and needing help? Your thoughts? I, I think the short answer is that it's in a good place because it is suddenly the focus of attention everywhere. Um, we are talking about things in education that maybe we've been aware of, like the digital divide, like access, um, cost of course materials, um, the inequities in education. You know, we've all known that those existed, but we didn't really address them. We weren't forced to. I think the virus has forced us to look at those. And so educational publishing has been in the process of transitioning to digital for a while. The higher education publishers would say in five years, we'll be 100% digital. And they've been saying that for about 15. So it was a, it was, it's been a very slow, you know, piecemeal transition. Um, many of the holdouts were faculty members who weren't comfortable teaching through their LMS, their learning management system on campus, or who didn't like e-textbooks. Um, and with this just overnight shift to distance learning, both K-12 and higher ed institutions have had to embrace it, whether faculty and others were comfortable or not. So the content providers and their technology partners have been waiting for this transition now for a while. So they were primed for it. They maybe were not in a position to go. Um, I was talking to a couple of, of partners uh, this week, and you know, year over year, May they grew 400% in terms of partners for their digital platforms. June it slowed down to just 100% growth year over year. So they're struggling with the the scale and the volume. But inherently, the infrastructure to go digital has been there for a while, and I think now it's finally. Um, being forced, there's sort of a reckoning at this point. So I, I think most of them would be, this is a good problem to have. 
put it that way. Excellent. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's great. And so, Kanan, from your perspective, working with Cambridge, are you seeing the same sort of um, trend line that Ashley just spoke about, uh, where there's sort of a uh, that that final shove toward uh, digital, embracing digital in the way that we were moving to all along? Share with us your thoughts on the current state yeah. of educational publishing. Yeah. I completely agree with Ashley. I mean, uh, in terms of content, we have always been confident and comfortable that we are producing the right amount of content. Uh, and our priorities uh, had been different. And we, we already knew that we should prioritize digital, but it wasn't really the main priority, let me say. And because of pandemic situation, it became the main priority. And again, uh, the priority is not really the content, but how we deliver, how we present the content to the learners and also to teachers, uh, professors, lecturers. Uh, just a simple example of ebooks. For us, the learners should have book or ebook, but after the pandemic, we are now thinking that actually they need to have both, or they definitely need to have ebook because. Nobody knows if there will be a second peak or not. Uh, that's why we now believe that ebook is a, a is not an option anymore. It's a requirement, and uh, actually the options now is print content plus ebook or only ebook. But still, uh, I mean, the institutions that want to be more comfortable about the offer, they want to have the blended solution definitely uh, with their learners. And this, I mean, yes, we definitely needed this discussion uh, for prioritizing the operational aspects as well. Uh, for example, last week I was speaking with my colleagues in Italy and for quite long period of time, unfortunately, lots of bookshops were closed. And then again, another option, which is the online bookstores, became the compulsory address for learners and teachers, professors. That's why I completely agree with Ashley. It was about prioritization and pandemic actually helped us to speed up the process to go for digitization more and more. And the last point I would like to add is, again, about the presentation and delivery of the content. We already knew that the content should ideally work on multiple platforms and we should be developing the content to work on multiple platforms. And again, it's an area that we, uh, we prioritize enough to make sure that our content works in multiple platforms based on the choices of the end users. Excellent, yeah, that's great. And Marika, from your standpoint, sort of sitting outside you know, as an observer of what's going on with, within these educational publishing spheres, your thoughts as well. Uh, you know, as you look at educational publishing, what do you see? Uh, something healthy or something in need of repair? Well, I'll tell you, we um, worked on a book in the spring um, from a Texas University Press. And it was a, um, a biography of sorts of um, an inspiring, notable character. And it was a rough time 
to get publicity for a book like that. Um, I'll tell you in, in the PR promotion world, there's an interesting dynamic going on in terms of, you know, is it a book that we can tie into news of the day because of COVID or race relations or even the upcoming presidential election? Or does it fall outside of all of those lanes and we have to figure out the positioning for the media of, you know, okay, everybody needs a break from all that. So here's where this book fits in. Um, and that was the case of this one book that I'm, I'm speaking of from the university press. It did not tie into anything related to news of the day. And so we were really, um, with that particular project, kind of a, a salmon <laughs> swimming up upstream a little bit because we were at the height of all the new pandemic conversation trying to promote a book that had come out right before the pandemic started in March. And that was a challenge. Um, we were able to, to nail down some really good, very niche um, media outlets for this particular book related. Um, there were some stories um, in oil and gas media and that type of thing, because that's where the the character of this story had come from. I say character, but it was, it was um, nonfiction, but he was a character. And um, so, you know, I, I see it from that point of view. Um, I also see it from the point of view of a mom of three kids. Um, I actually have a middle schooler, a high schooler, and a university student going into her sophomore year. And I will tell you in terms of the educational materials that they are using or transitioning to, um, the ebook is problematic for a couple of my um, kids because they're like me, they like to take notes. You know, if I'm reading a really good nonfiction book, we just promoted this book right here. One of my favorite nonfiction books of the year. I sat with this book and I made notes on every single page. I was highlighting stuff. That's what I do. I'm also in the middle of reading Tools of Titans, which is a super thick book. Um, I like that, you know, tactile let me write in the margins, let me highlight. And I know when I was a college student, that that was super important for me, you know, in terms of digesting the material and then going back and studying. So, you know, I think that's a problem in terms of really leaning on eBooks only, you know, in terms of, in terms of the educational market. Um, I can also tell you that some new things have come about in terms of promoting in this world reaching students. You know, we've got a couple of books that we've worked on where we're targeting students, whether it be a middle schooler or a high schooler, and we're dabbling in new types of promotion, like um, helping with YouTube um, videos that we didn't do before. And so it's an interesting time in terms of promoting a book from start to finish. Um, whether it be, be publicity, which is what we're charged with, or helping consult our authors on other types of marketing endeavors that they might be able to tap into online. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's three great perspectives. Um, you know, it, it feels like a land of opportunity, 
is what it feels like. It feels like that what the pandemic has done is um, provide all the excuse that any company needs to do what they really wanted to do, you know, all along. And with some companies, uh, maybe that means that they take things in a, you know, a direction that doesn't serve everybody well. Uh, we've seen some of that, but in general, it's been more of a positive thing, in my opinion, where companies are figuring out and, and, and schools as well. You know, I think the story with schools is going to be uh, how can we serve the most amount of people? Um, and it really becomes a, an accessibility sort of story. And prior to the pandemic, you could say, you know, uh, schools were embracing accessibility to, to different extents. Some uh, embraced it, you know, quite a bit. Others were sort of more reluctant. But now, um, from everything I see, it looks like the gold standard will be if you want to go to school and some kids need to go to school. Um, and I'm not really talking about for the parents benefit. I'm just saying for their own learning style, um, you know, we're, we're going to try to do everything we can to make that happen without people getting sick. And, uh, but if you need to be at home and doing things virtually, then we're going to try to accommodate that as well. Maybe you have a immunocompromised person at home or whatever the case may be, and you don't need to be getting in that environment. I, I think it's choice and all three of you spoke to, to choice in different ways. So I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Um, actually, I'm going to go back to you and go through the same order here for the next question. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, we sort of talked through what the state of educational publishing is and in doing so we talked through, uh, how the pandemic has affected it. I'm, I'm going to go to my next question here, which is what's one of what's the best use of technology that you've seen within educational publishing recently. It could be in any aspect, operations, marketing, production, anything. Share with me uh, one uh, positive use of technology you've seen lately. May I have two, so make them quick? Sure, please. Um, so I, I think we've talked about the the volume and the scaling up and and the the speed at which things have changed and i think the the speed is is also part of the answer to this question and it's it is allowing a responsiveness that maybe wasn't there before and and i would echo what you said that now is a time for institutions higher ed institutions and and companies in, in educational environments to take risks. There's a lot of um, what, what we've been saying at HP a lot of times is you're building the plane while you're flying it. You know, things are changing so quickly that you have to, you have to move into a space that maybe you're, you hadn't planned to do immediately. But we're all there. We're all learning how to do a Zoom call. You know, higher ed uh, folks used to go to campus and they call on faculty to get an adoption and certainly they can't do that anymore. So we're all doing things that we didn't used to do. So I think the speed at which we are adapting is part of what makes, th that is making the technology look different. So two specific examples. Um, one is a one that we did at HP with Piazza. So there were uh, obviously students in large school districts when everything shut down they don't have a device. Um, they don't have broadband access. They're in homes where it is not conducive 
to online learning. And um, like Marika, I've got a high schooler and I've got a kid who's going to be a sophomore in college. And they appreciate having a print option always. Um, and there are a lot of students for whom that, that tactile experience is part of the learning. And so with HP, we were able to partner with um, Scholastic, Time for Kids, Encyclopedia Britannica, um, and a few other content providers to very quickly go from um, sort of concepts to printed materials that were distributed to school districts and they were handed out with lunches. So when the students came in to pick up their meals, they were also given a print packet of their course materials for those who didn't have access to online learning. And they were able to, the content providers and the printers, and there was donated paper and ink, and this was all provided for free. And it happened within weeks. It was, we went from nothing to hundreds of thousands of packets in no time. And I think what that tells you is that technology was already there, but we needed that impetus to use it in that way. And then one other example, um, I was told about a sociology textbook last week, and it, it was about a four or five-year-old book, fully out in the marketplace in both physical and ebook version. And it had a photograph around social justice that was no longer appropriate. It would have been extremely problematic and upsetting, where five years ago, nobody even thought about it or not the right people thought about it, but they did today. And so within a matter of days, they were able to change that photograph. So in the e-text, they could do it instantly. So the very next time the student logs into that platform to see their textbook, that photograph has been changed. And in the print version, they were able to pull in from what retail partners they were able to, to work with, they pulled in all the hard copies and through short run digital, they could redistribute very quickly the physical copies for distribution. So they were able to replace their inventory, again, you know, hours with the digital version and days with the physical version. So that technology was already there, but it hadn't been used in quite that way. So I, I think the most amazing thing I've seen with technology is what it is allowing us to do in response to our customers, to our students, to the needs of the people who are using what we, we do. It's helping us to do the right thing really quickly. That's excellent. Yeah, no, those are great examples. And uh, Kanan, I'm going to ask you the same thing. What is the best use of technology that you've seen within educational publishing lately, any any aspect? I mean, selecting one is not that easy, but uh, I'll try to, I'll not cheat like Ashley and I will definitely pick up one. Uh, that uh, And I, I really want to give an example from a different angle because if we are talking about educational publishing, one essential element, uh, if not uh, the most important, uh, is a teacher factor. And uh, when the pandemic started, obviously uh, teachers, lecturers, professors worldwide were also in a kind of uh, panic mode because uh, it is a kind of uh, really a new environment for them. Uh, and 
again an initiative uh, by us was uh, the series of webinars for teachers uh, during this period. Uh, it started from Europe uh, in our company, in our organization. And I'll give you one specific example that my team did uh, in the Middle East. Uh, we made a webinar series called Cambridge MENA Online Experience, Middle East and North Africa. And there are 20, around 20 countries in the Middle East and North Africa. But for this webinar series, uh, over 65,000 teachers from 94 countries uh, registered and over 16,000 individual teachers attended the majority of the webinars. And we had never reached this number before uh, during our uh, publishing lives. So again, it was a very interesting experience for us because in a normal conference or seminar, I mean, in average, we are expecting maximum between 100 to 500 attendees. But thanks to this event again, we had the access to over 16,000 individual teachers, which we had never uh, accessed before. And then we uh, did the same events actually in Asia, even higher number of attendees than Australia, America. So it was a very interesting experience for us to reach that many teachers worldwide. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great example as well. Marika, I'm going to ask you the same question. Um, just an example of, you know, technology, the best example of technology that, that you've seen as it relates to educational publishing lately. And I have two also. But the first is um, an, a, a technology that we put into place. It's called our Author to Influencer Accelerator. We actually launched it in January, which was a little fortuitous that we got it out there right before people started staying at home. But we saw the need for an educational platform that we could deliver content to authors um, where they basically could DIY their promotion and capitalize on my 23 years in the industry. And um, I'm a connector by nature. So that's just something that I am very passionate about and probably makes me a, a good publicist in that sense is that I'm all about connecting people with the information that they need. And so basically we launched Author to Influencer um, and it's, uh, we're celebrating our half birthday this month. So um, we're excited about that. Kind of got through that first six months, but basically authors can go in and be a part of this membership community, have access to education that takes them through, we developed a five-step um, plan that goes through preparation, platform development, product, planning, and promotion. And so they can access workshops related to, um, you know, all the content that falls under um, this five-step pathway. And they can do it from home. And they can do it at their own pace. And um, it's been exciting to see the birth of that and get that up and running because it was something that we had in, in the works for a couple of years. And so, um, you know, that's one thing that we have instituted um, utilizing technology. The other thing is um, something that we've actually done for years, but has become more and more important this year are our virtual book tours. And, you know, we were probably one of the first book publicists to to start these, we used to call them blog tours way back in the beginning, but now they're so much more than bloggers. 
So um, we're going out and we're finding the bloggers, the bookstagrammers on Instagram, the people who are reviewing it on Amazon and Goodreads, podcasters, um, influencers to all come on board and be talking about a book in a particular week. It's typically the week of publication. And we, you know, spend at least a good couple of months leading up to that to get the materials organized, um, outreach to the right people, get them the assets that they need, make sure that they're signed on for a particular day that week to be um, supporting that book. And so that, as you can imagine, has become really important for um, a lot of books out there because they can't go to um, bookstores to do an event. They can't go into the schools. They can't be anywhere physically right now. And so they're really leaning on these virtual book tours to get the word out. And virtual book tours can work for all genres. Um, I mean, they are a little bit more effective for some genres over others, but um, we utilize them for a wide variety of genres that we work with. Excellent. Yeah, no, all three of those are, are great. Um, you know, I, I want to close the show by asking uh, each of the three of you, and uh, Marika, I'm going to start with you and then work in reverse this time uh, to Kanan and, and to Ashley, um, to put your Nostradamus hat on, get the crystal ball out, and uh, share a trend that you think that we'll see um, related to educational publishing uh, in some way over the rest of 2020 uh, into 2021. You know, we're, uh, the, the calendar just turned uh, second half of 2020. Um, it, it feels like the first half of 2020 was several uh, millennia in length. Um, and, uh, but here we are. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, the world's moving. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's a lot's happening, you know, whether it's the, the, the digital evolution that we talked about on the show, there's a whole other conversation about rights as it relates to educational publishing. We've seen some, uh, groups butting heads over that. Uh, there's several different things, but I just want to get all three of you on the record. What's something, uh, anything that you uh, believe that we will see happen uh, over the next six to 12 months? Marika, I'll start with you. Well, from the publicity standpoint, you know, I, I think that what we're going to see in the next six months is a lot of um, commentary as we lead up to the presidential election. You know, that's really going to take center stage. But, you know, I think that education and educational publishing are going to be a big part of the conversation in the second half of 2020, because if you look around at the media that you're consuming right now, I mean, like you said, Bradley, early on, I mean, so much of it about is about what are we doing in terms of educating our kids in the, first, in the second part of 2020? We've, we've kind of had a little... Um, like guinea pig session in the fourth quarter of their school year this past year um, of what we had to do. And gosh, I love that quote that Ashley said about we're building the plane <laughs> as we're, uh, I actually wrote it, wrote it down as we're flying it. Um, that is such a good quote related to education. And it's kind of like we were all thrown into 
this new situation in the fourth quarter of their school year. I can tell you, you know, there were some things that were done great and amazingly efficient. There were some things that need to improve, um, you know, going into this next school year. So it's going to be an interesting um, second half of the year now that, um, and, and I, honestly, you know, so many of us didn't think that we were going to be in this situation in the second part of the school year when all this started in March. Um, and we just were patiently waiting on the runway, um, so to speak. But yeah, I mean, I think that we're, we're going to see um, an increase in accessing um, new media, um, media that maybe wasn't utilized as much um, in education, which will be in um, this first semester of this next school year. So it, it, it's kind of the wild, wild west. I mean, it's, it, there's so much of like this new frontier that, that we're all trying to get comfortable with, but, you know, I mean, we do what we have to do, right? So um, in terms of book publicity, we've been really happy to see that um, our, our work has not diminished in this pandemic. I mean, we really didn't know what to expect when March got here and we were kind of looking at this going, wow, what does this mean for PR by the book? Um, we were pleasantly surprised that our media hits increased, um, our leads increased, uh, we were able to take on projects that, you know, maybe were a little bit more meaningful than what we had before. So, you know, it hasn't negatively affected PR by the book, but it will be interesting to see how we continue through the rest of this year and, and really continue to tap into that technology that, that we need in order to promote books. Excellent. Yeah. And Kanata, I'm going to ask you the same thing. So with your, uh, position at Cambridge and, and, and your, your line of sight. Um, Nostradamus hat on, crystal ball out. Give us a trend that you expect to see play out over the second half of 2020 into the first half of 2021. Again, I mean, this will not sound new uh, to anyone, but as you mentioned before, accessibility, I really want to highlight accessibility element. And as actually uh, mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, it wasn't something uh, not there, it was there, uh, but not the priority. And uh, after the pandemic station, I believe uh, the investment on accessibility will speed up. And there are two edges really in terms of accessibility. Uh, under normal circumstances in many countries, we will be talking more and more about uh, two phases of access, uh, two parts of uh, accessibility. Uh, number one, uh, content being more and more device agnostic, working on different devices uh, in bite-sized learning or some other aspects. And the second one is, again, content being platform agnostic as well. Uh, content will be presented and accessed more and more on different devices plus different platforms. Uh, so based on the preferences of the learners, uh, the learners will be able to access the content on different platforms and different uh, devices. On the other edge, again, we need to accept uh, a fact that uh, still 
there are quite a lot of learners in different parts of Africa or even in uh, different territories. There are uh, more and more camps for uh, due to migration or other uh, social political issues. And even the uh, online or internet use is very limited in these parts of the world. And then the big question is how to access this content, same content offline. So I'm also uh, hoping and expecting more and more investment on accessing the content for these uh, disadvantaged uh, learners uh, in different territories uh, in an offline uh, manner. I think that's a great point. Uh, and a lot of what we do with voice technology and conversational AI, which uh, is at the heart of uh, a lot of our core business, you know, we see, um, you know, really Google has led the way with Google Assistant and uh, a number of Google oriented tools to make them available offline. And uh, it sounds like that's a step backward in some way and it's not at all, uh, it's, it's uh, critical for accessibility and it, I, I appreciate you pointing that out. Ashley, same question for you. Nostradamus hat on, crystal ball out, hit us with the trend uh, we, that you expect us to see uh, in the near future. Okay. Um, over the years of this digital transformation, there have been essentially two camps. There were those who think print is what's required in education and there were those who thought everything should be online and digital. And they really did not meet in the middle very often. Um, they were you know, held fast. I think what has happened is that it's changed the conversation. And as we've all mentioned, it really isn't either or, it's both. And the good news for us is that that conversation is changing at a time when our supply chain infrastructure can meet that need. So we have digital distribution of online content, which can also be downloaded and used offline, which is incredibly important in those developing countries. We've done a lot of work in Haiti and that you don't have broadband access 24-7 there. So you have to find a balance. But that can be supported with physical content in a different way from what we've done in the past. So traditionally, textbooks were printed offset. You know, tens of thousands of copies. If they were for color, they were printed overseas. Well, what we saw in the last few months is when your plant exists in a hotspot, it goes down. You know, if the ship comes to a, a port that is a hotspot, that container doesn't get unloaded. So by changing the supply chain, shorter runs, closer to the end user, we're not shipping thousands of copies. We're doing fewer and fewer copies and they're happening. They're being made where the students are, where the users are. It allows us to make that content smarter. So where you have adapted online, adaptable online content that is responding to the student, we can pair that with customized printed content that's done in very small quantity near where the user is. And this is particularly true in some of what Kanan was talking about. Um, when we've got developing countries, we have new educational markets. It's very true here, but it's also true in our global markets. So I think my prediction would be, we've finally come to terms with, it's not P or E, it's P plus E. 
And timing is everything. And our timing is excellent because we actually now have as an industry, the support mechanisms to distribute in that way and give our students the materials that they need in the format that they need. That's great. Uh, all three of y'all, uh, excellent perspective. Ashley, Kanan, Marika, thanks to all three of you for taking the time, being part of Publisher Nation with us today. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for having us. It's a great conversation. Thank you very much. For Publisher Nation, Season 2, Episode 4, thank you for listening, watching if you're watching on YouTube. Until next time.